Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Andy Allen is our is our guest, and we're talking about retailing. And he, of course, is the person that we go to for that uh, type of conversation because he's the president, as we said, of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association, representing some 25,000 uh, stores across the state of North Carolina. Uh, Andy, of course, every year, um, Legislation uh, is passed by the General Assembly and the federal government affects retailing, affects commerce in general. Last year, I guess, uh, was an unusual year, but uh, it, it's sort of more or less back to normal. So what are some of the legislative concerns that your organization has that could affect its members and the public? Well, thank you very much, Don, on that question. And it's interesting. I was saying earlier to Jason the General Assembly is a different place right now just because you have people in different spectrums. And, and for somebody who works in that arena and has for the last 25 years, it's a little more difficult to navigate than it has been in the past. And we're screened every day as you enter just to make sure that you're not sick and, um, and, and dealing with legislators, some who are on one spectrum of very cautious and uh, versus some others who, 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 you know, Take, believe they've already had COVID or vaccinated and, and have a little more lessening on the restriction side of it. But a couple of things we're working on. One big one that happened last week that was supposed to be a, it was a trigger that would have raised the unemployment tax on businesses from 1.9% to 2.4%. And the General Assembly uh, unanimously um, approved with bipartisan support and signature by the governor, uh, maintaining that unemployment tax rate for businesses at 1.9%. So it kept that increase from happening, which is worth, you know, millions and millions of dollars to businesses, especially small businesses that are, that are trying to hire people, which is very important. Um, today, today we, uh, we were working on, again, the, I mentioned the Paycheck Protection Program. North Carolina, there's 47 states that have said that in, the, the money that you got from the federal government is not counted as income. And it's not, and that you can deduct expenses that you use that money from. North Carolina is not one of those. The other three are California, other two are California and Hawaii. Uh, the House today passed uh, House Bill 334, which would allow uh, businesses, and there's 127,000 businesses in North Carolina that took the PPP loan from the federal government with an average of 10 employees, would allow them to deduct expenses uh, as well on their taxes. And that's time sensitive because of, of people getting ready to file their 2020 tax return. But that is a, you know, that passed again today. I think there were two no votes in the House. Uh, and we, there was a press conference with bipartisan support, the Speaker of the House and the House Minority Leader, uh, Speaker Tim Moore and, and, and Minority Leader Robert Reeves both participated in that press conference and support that bill. And we're working with a large coalition of folks on that one as well. Um, it always seemed that that was going to be counterproductive if they counted that as income all of a sudden. Uh, it, it wasn't a good deal for anybody. No, and, and, and you know, if you think about it, those businesses kept those employees on their payrolls, and in a lot of cases kept their benefits and kept them off the unemployment rolls, and that kept money rolling through the economy. And when they were, for those businesses that closed, when they reopened, they didn't have to try to go back out and find new employees. And, you know, they had trained employees already. And, and so that was a really key component. It was a lifeline. So many businesses talk about without that, they would have never made it through. And so it's really, we're hoping that the Senate will take that legislation up and pass that as well. Other legislation that uh, may affect retailers. Well, we've been working on a lot of things. We, I, we represent a lot of pharmacies and we've, you know, they've done an amazing job too. And I use that term a lot, but 
uh, with the COVID vaccine and administering the COVID vaccine. You know, it's been shown that the pharmacy and, and your and your you know, your primary healthcare providers like physicians are probably your best two places. That's where everybody goes to get their vaccines, uh, whether it be flu or shingles or those types of things, trying to get more of the vaccine into those pharmacies and into those physicians offices so that they can administer it. So we worked on some legislation first to allow them to do that and align it with the federal law. Uh, there was legislation earlier this year that passed to allow that to happen. And, and pharmacies are putting those at, putting shots in people's arms as fast as they can because we've got to get people vaccinated in order to get back to normal. So that is really important uh, as well. Um, and then things like, you know, things that sometimes go unlooked uh, or, or unnoticed. There's a bill right now, for instance, for as many people know, on-premise permittees of alcohol, like restaurants and bars and bottle shops, many of them weren't able to fully use their permits. And so generally, uh, let's say a restaurant, their average ABC permit is probably $1,400 to $1,800 a year. And they basically weren't able to use those permits last year. There's a House Bill, House Bill 73, that would uh, would waive those those fees. for an, They waived them from last year, would waive them again for another year to try to give those businesses that couldn't use these fee, these permits and give them some some break on that. So, um, you know, that's a that's a key component. We're working on some things. Um, we have a bill called "Bring People Back Downtown" that that's, we think is getting ready to be filed. That would allow a city to to designate sort of a social district to allow people to go where the city had designated and, and leave out of a restaurant or a bottle shop or a wine shop and walk out into a street or into another business with a beverage, an alcoholic beverage that's been very done very successfully in Kentucky and Ohio and Michigan. Because what happens is if you have a street festival, the businesses that are on that street can't do that, but they can bring in a remote vendor that can sell you a glass of wine, meet in the street in Raleigh to walk around, but the business that's there 365 days a year cannot. So we're trying to level the playing field a little bit on that. Um, but those are a couple of things we've been working on this session. As uh, I think we're getting very close, I believe the number is 40% of the adults are uh, being vaccinated with, with both, both shots, or in some cases, the J&J &J shot. Um, can you tell a difference week by week as more and more people get vaccinated? Is there a, uh, a certain indication that these people feel more comfortable about shopping? I think there is. And, I, and, you know, I see people with, with masks on and, and people are continuing to wear masks as they should. And, and they'll say, I have this on, but I've already been vaccinated. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I will tell you on my trip and I live in the town of Wake Forest and on my trip downtown to downtown Raleigh four or five days a week, I see the traffic picking up both in the morning and in the afternoon. Traffic, and, is, traffic is definitely picking up. <laughs> right. And, and, and I go, you know, out into on Fayetteville Street and there's people here you know, that are now at some of the outside seating restaurants and inside seating restaurants or at some of the shopping centers. And I see people now out and about. So I think people are having renewed optimism. And I think the vaccine, my, you know, my wife is one that as she's getting, you know, the second dose is, is I think, going to be more amenable to being out in public. And, and I think that's a that's a good thing because it's, it's better. We got to get people from behind the computer screen and from, you know, back out talking to people, communicating with each other. I'm amazed. Uh, I'm going to change the subject on you here. I'm amazed at the number of uh, checkouts now that allow self-checkouts. In other words, you do your own checkout. And uh, uh, how's that working out? Because that, that puts a lot of trust on the customer. 
it, it does, but you know, generally on the self checkout, there's usually a, a employee there to to assist you with that. Um, I think space wise, it helps. Um, you know, being in a grocery store, if you can put four kiosks and the people have four items apiece, they're able to get in and out. And uh, the other thing it does is, that, you know, we, we are now conditioned a, a little bit to give people six feet, you know, at the checkout line. And if you think about a grocery store, if I've got four items and there's four of us with four items, we're taking up 24 feet back into the back into the aisle. If I can push you, you know, help you get through this self checkout, I can get you in and out of the store. And you mentioned earlier, and I'll, I will say this about the decals on the floor. There was this misnomer that one way aisles would help, you know, keep people safe. What we found from some research was it kept people in the store probably 14 minutes longer because people went the wrong way or they ducked into the aisle the wrong way and they got in a confrontation, but people stayed in the aisle, stayed in the store much longer. And I think the self-checkout is a way, uh, as well as pick your cur- your delivery, your goods up at the curb, whether they're groceries or get them delivered, that is changing that dynamic of how we shop. Well, shoplifting and shrinkage has always been a major cost to a retailer. Uh, and uh, of course the, the, uh, honest customer is the one who ends up paying for it uh, indirectly. And uh, are retailers finding more and better ways to control shrinkage and shoplifting? They're, they're finding better ways. Unfortunately, the criminals are getting better and better at it every day. And, and we're not talking about the, the kid that steals a pair of sunglasses or a pack of gum. Uh, unfortunately, there is what, what we call organized retail crime. And it is, it's, it's basically gangs of people that go in with a shopping list of what to steal. And they're stealing high high dollar items, things like razor blades, batteries, pregnancy test kits, Tide Pods, um, those batteries, those items. Uh, and then they're putting them generally a lot of times online for sale at Nextdoor uh, or on eBay or on you know other platforms that they're selling these items to people. Uh, which I will tell people, if you see those items and they're remarkable, that the, the, the person selling them has a, has 50 boxes of Tide Pods and they're selling them for 50 cents on the dollar, be, be, be wary of it. Or if they're selling infant formula, which is another very highly stolen item because it's so expensive and they're, they've got, you know, 150 cans of Infamil and they're selling it at $10 instead of $20 and only sells for, be careful because it may not have been stored properly and could be dangerous to your, to your child that you're giving it to. So, all those items that you sometimes see, it, we went sometimes from a flea market or a pawn shop or other places where things were stolen and sold. Now it is migrated online, especially during COVID. It's much easier to do that. Are you breaking the law if you buy merchandise from someone that you uh, suspect it's stolen? It, you're not if you suspect. If you have knowledge that it's stolen, then yes, you have you have knowledgeably purchased stolen I, a stolen goods. So, uh, but if you suspecting it is not necessarily the case. Are, are, are customers catching on to turning in people when they see shoplifting? Because, I mean, I think for a long time, they so, sort of felt like, well, you know, that person's stealing. I'm not going to do it, but it's okay. But as a matter of fact, it's, it's, uh, it's penalizing the customers paying. I think the customers are, and retailers, you know, maintain people that they call loss prevention officers that you may not recognize walking around the store, but they're walking around watching customers as well. Uh, as well as very good security cameras and that sort of thing, um, and and law enforcement has really understood that this is a is a dangerous thing because what has happened is these organized retail crime groups are funding 
uh, illicit activities, whether it be human trafficking, whether it be opioids, whether it be other things, that's what they're funding. And so there's been a renewed emphasis on it. Charlotte, for instance, has an organized retail crime task force inside their police department and Raleigh and some other, some other cities do as well. Again, it's not just the kids stealing a pair of sunglasses. It's, it's people stealing major items with high technology. Uh, and it's the, sort of the crime of the, of, of the, of the 2020s. And on top of everything else, the state doesn't get sales tax on stolen merchandise. No, not at all. And, and again, as you mentioned, we all end up paying for that. Uh, that's that's what that all gets built into the price of goods. But when you go to the drugstore and there's a, you know, you can only take one razor out at a time, or there, you know, the reason that's the case is because people are stealing those. Yeah. You know, we're trying to do something to protect the consumer and and the the business from that. Well, of course, shop and of course, internal shoplifting or internal shrinkage is also a problem. But that's a that's an internal problem, and that's a different matter and a different way of controlling that. I suspect. Absolutely. So basically, do you think uh, uh, this is this a growing concern or is it uh, under control? Uh, it's been a growing concern. Again, I think part of it is the criminals are usually a little bit ahead of both the law as it's written and, and sometimes the retailers. And, and they've unfortunately gotten more brazen and more organized. And again, they'll run up and down I-95 or I-85 and, um, and they have very, they're very organized. And again, they know what they're, what they're going to the store to steal and with a shopping list, it's not random. Um, and so, and they've got more avenues to sell those products once they steal them. I had uh, someone come up to me in a grocery store last week and, indicate that he needed help and would I mind putting a few items in his, in his in my basket for me to pay for. Now I you know I'm not sure whether that person was uh, was organized and doing it as a profit motor or really needed the help. I you know it, it, was, it was hard to tell. But I guess that may be another way that people are finding out how to get merchandise out of stores. Absolutely. They they are like I said they're very uh very creative on those things. Well, I guess is Andy Allen. He's the president of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association. We have one final segment coming up. We want to talk about tariffs and trade wars and international competition, workmen's compensation, a few other issues. And we'll do that in the next segment. Carolina Newsmakers, you stay tuned. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. 
Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Andy Allen, the president, who is the president of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association. A reminder that a number of you listen to this program on stations that carry a 30-minute version or two segments of the program. And uh, for those of you who are listening to those stations, there are two additional segments that you might like to listen to. And you can do that by going online to carolinanewsmakers.com and pick up those two segments. Or if you'd like to share the entire broadcast with a friend, you can do that as well. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. As I said, Andy Allen is our guest. And Andy, uh, there were a number of uh, trade agreements made during the Trump administration. Uh, there's still a lot of uh, trade conversation, especially between the United States and China, uh, on trying to get a flat playing ground. What's going on internationally that affects retailing and therefore affects the consumers of North Carolina? Well, I think you mentioned a minute ago, Don, the, the trade wars and the tariffs. And, you know, we had, we had for instance, early on in the, in the Trump administration, the, the border adjustment tax that we were very much against that, you know, would have put a tremendous tax on on goods being brought into the country. And, and we're in a global society and we've got to trade internationally. And, uh, you know, I think you see sort of a, a, I call it a tit for tat, you know, sort of tariffs that you see throughout the world. And, you know, you look at uh, the tax on bourbon, the tariffs being put on by, you know, Europe and other countries on bourbon and uh, Harley Davidson motorcycles with the bourbon obviously being aimed at Mitch McConnell uh, in his area, you know, to try to put pressure there. Um, you know, I think you're seeing a little bit of a pullback from the Biden administration on that while trying to maintain a strong, a strong, um, you know, force that we've got to have level playing fields there with with, with China. And I think there's so many issues revolving around inter, inter, in, uh, intellectual property concerning China as well and, and counterfeit goods. But I think, you know, the, the other issue you've got is is we are having big issues on supply chain. Uh, you know, we've heard everything from, you know, the, the semiconductor chips in China that people can't get into the computers and the car manufacturers certainly can't get those to build cars, which is causing supply chain issues with cars. But I talk to retailers all the time. And if you think about, you know, going out today, trying to buy a refrigerator or a, a washer dryer, uh, we don't have as many in stock as we normally do because they're, they're tougher to get just because of supply chain. Um, then you throw in the, you know, the, the large ship that was stuck in the Suez Canal and everybody that was backed up behind it carrying, carrying goods to the, the, this country. And, um, you know, I've talked, whether it be hiking boots was the one I heard this week, or um, certainly you can't find ammunition anywhere if you, if you are a hunter. Um, you know, there's different things that we're having supply chain issues and, and we'll continue to do. And not all that applies to tariffs, but I think, that we were seeing some of those issues come into play that we may have seen coming down the pipe close to eight months ago. And they're finally here. As you look ahead, what are you looking for in the second, third and fourth quarters? How quickly will we rebound uh, certain industries like weddings that we talked about earlier? How, how quickly do you think those things will get back to what we might call normal? I, I think it's a couple fold. I think one, um, we have to look and see as long as we continue to vaccinate people the way we've been doing and trying to get, you know, quote unquote, to the herd, uh, herd immunity. Uh, that's important. We're watching sort of what's happening in Michigan, you know, right now, which has seen a tremendous spike in, in that state and 
the CDC encouraging the governor to shut things back down again. But I also measured against a place like California, which has been very, very restrictive and very shut down. And, you know, they just now opened up restaurants for in, inside dining versus a state like Florida or, or, or North Carolina or others that are in different stages. And I think, you know, North Carolina is well poised. We've had so many people, I will also say, move here um, because they are no longer, they can work remotely and they're moved from Silicon Valley or they moved from the Northeast. I mean, I had somebody in my neighborhood who moved sight unseen from a house in Louisiana to, to Wake Forest, North Carolina. Um, but I think that's helping drive in the housing market. And as the housing market moves, a lot of the rest of the economy moves. Uh, you know, when you build a house, we then will sell, somebody sells you carpet and somebody, our furniture stores sell you furniture and we sell appliances and, and the like. So I think with the growth in North Carolina seeing the next three months are, are very bright as far as, as our economy goes. I think we're, you know, everybody's worried somewhat about inflation and what does it do to goods. And we mentioned earlier trying to get workforce and, you know, are you having to pay a lot more for workers? Because that's going to end up getting built into the price of, of goods to, to people. Um, but I think you've also got to, we've got to transition back from the restaurants who unfortunately a lot of them had to go to, you know, curbside pickup or delivery and, you know, they want to get people back inside their restaurants and people employed and um, and people back out doing things. And, and, and there's a comfort level, too. I think as people sort of step in, stair step or glide into those items, uh, maybe you ate outside and then now maybe you're willing to go inside and eat, hopefully because you got vaccinated and, and now you're ready to take the next step. You know, um, I think people will continue to flock to our coast which is great for the Outer Banks and the Wilmington area and to the mountains because they've got space. And that's a, a good thing. Um, although they're going to have really big challenges labor-wise, you know, we have a lot usually of people from overseas that come in and work these tourist areas and work at the restaurants and the hotels and the retailers who come in from uh, European countries and others, and they're probably not coming because of COVID. And so how do those, how do those areas make up for the loss in work? And work um, workforce, and the workforce issue, I think, is is a really challenging one going forward in the next few weeks, in the next few quarters. Um, and then, lastly, you know, is our education, are our schools back open? Is a big as we head into the fall, because if you think about uh, town, the college towns in Chapel Hill, how bad they got hurt when there's no college football season and the businesses that are built up around that. Uh, I went to the tech, Elon College when there's no, you know, nothing going on in the town and the, the kids aren't there potentially, like it was last fall sometimes at Chapel Hill and other schools, and there's no activities, there's no sports, there's no graduation. It takes money out of the economy. And, and those are things that we've got to get those things back open to help us get, you know, to fully get back to where we need to be. One of the, I guess, uh, almost a holiday. Uh, of course, Thanksgiving is a holiday, but almost a holiday for years has been Black, Black Friday. People uh, just took that as a special occasion. Have we seen the last Black Friday? I think we have probably seen the last Black Friday. Um, I think that, you know, Christmas had moved earlier and earlier as it was, and there was early Black Friday specials and everything else. I think you may have seen a change in that you may see more retailers closed on that Thanksgiving day that may have opened later because now they've got an online channel that they're competing. A lot of them were opening because they didn't want to lose sales to online. Now they, they themselves have an online component. So I think you'll see 
you know, that go away. And as we, as we elongate it out, people won't get up at four o'clock in the morning to go stand in line to buy the TV anymore and wrap around the building. They'll, they'll do it, you know, in a measured way earlier in the year, because I think retailers may not drop the price as much. They'll just spread it out and spread out the time period when that's offered. So um, that holiday may be one of the holidays that we're about to see the end of. Well, I, of course, I came up and uh, I'm, I'm old as dirt and I came up at a time where Christmas Eve was almost the Black Friday of the 50s and 60s because people shop right up to 930 on Christmas Eve. And that uh, sort of changed uh, as people wanted to get rid of their Christmas shopping earlier and earlier. And so shopping on Christmas Eve got to be a point where it really wasn't all that much. Well, my wife would say if you were doing it, then you probably hadn't thought much about it. So. <laughs> Well, uh, I think I may have been guilty of that a couple of times, too. <laughs> Me as well. Always, you can always tell the panicked look on someone's face on Christmas Eve that you know that they have uh, too many things left on their item. Uh, you mentioned hiring. Uh, when do you think that uh, uh, the uh, job vacancies that exist, and there are a lot of them, will be filled? Um, I don't know that we're going to get back to full employment for some time. And, you know, there was a proposal that came out of the U.S. Senate yesterday that would pay people on unemployment 75 percent of their wages and mandate 26 weeks of unemployment, which if we go back into that, I don't know that we'll get back to full employment anytime soon. And But there but there are jobs available for some of these folks that uh, are taking advantage of that situation. Absolutely. And then I think, you know, you also have the scenario and I work in downtown Raleigh where there's a lot of tall skyscrapers around me. And if the law firms aren't coming back to the Wells Fargo building and the other BB&T building or the accounting firms or whoever it may be, you know, the coffee shop and the dry cleaner and the lunch place, they're not getting that business that they, when they built themselves 15, 20 years ago, that business is not coming back. The parking deck is very empty that used to be completely full that I park in, but we need to get, those businesses back too. And, and I'm hoping, whereas I think we're going to see a change and you'll still see remote work and, you know, one or two days a week or some people more than that, that we start to bring people back to those office buildings because our downtowns need it, not just here, but in the smaller towns built around a courthouse and built around, you know, the town square, the, the, the lunch spot that everybody went to in downtown by the courthouse in Carthage, people need that business needs to be, you know, needs that support. And, and until we get those things back open and people back in those businesses, that's not going to happen. Do you see a large exodus from the very large metropolitan areas like New York City coming to places like North Carolina because now they can re work remotely? But secondly, uh, it, it, it's turned out it's a safer place to be. I think it's a safer place to be. I think the other thing is, and you look at what's going on in New York and some of the other places, you know, with their with their continuing to raise some of their income tax on, on individuals, I think you see more and more people in same way in Connecticut, more and more people head this way. I think, you know, we heard from a lot of people that Moorhead City and Atlantic Beach and the Outer Banks back during the height of the COVID, you know, were full of license plates from New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, because those people who were quarantined and completely locked down all left and came here. And a lot of them, like you and I and a lot of other North Carolinians, saw how great this state was, and they never left or they're never going to leave, or they're going to go back and sell where they were and come back as soon as they can. Well, of course, growth in North Carolina is uh, uh, appears to be on a continued track upward. 
And uh, uh, as long as uh, uh, the metropolitan areas can stand the growth, I think we're going to be fine. But we still have those those areas that need additional uh, work. And, and so the workplace opportunities now for remote locations uh, may be better than ever. And I have not given you much time to answer that question. Uh, I, absolutely. And you're from small town like I am, you know, not a metropolitan area. We want people that grow up in Wilson and Laurenburg and Rocky Mount and, and Marion. You want them to feel if they go off to college that they can come back to where they were and help keep those communities going instead that they don't have to stay in Raleigh or Charlotte. And I'm hoping maybe some of the remoteness gives those kids the opportunity to go back home and keep their communities alive. And because our businesses, our retailers in those areas depend on them. And so we're hoping that that, that will happen. Andy, thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like more information about the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association, you can just Google that and get all the information. If you'd like to join, I'm sure that Andy or his staff will be delighted to give you information about uh, how to do that. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us on this same group of stations all across North Carolina again next week at the same time on this very station. So the next week, hope you have a very nice week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.